So hello, I'm with uh, Christian Burgess from Portsmouth Football Club. Christian, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, John. Yeah. Thanks for joining me here via uh, an audio link-up as we're living through coronavirus. It is three days, I think, since the Prime Minister announced uh, that the UK was effectively going into uh, lockdown, albeit without quite as uh, stringent measures as they're having in some other countries around the world. But um, definitely living in unprecedented times, which means for you, Christian, there's no football happening. So how are you keeping fit and healthy? Yeah, um, I'm using my um, one slot a day for exercise yep. um, as well as I can, either going out running or cycling um, around Portsmouth. And then I'm also sort of doing my own fashion home workouts as best as I can. I managed to um, steal a couple of dumbbells from work uh, and cool. all this sort of escalated, which have done me really well. It's yeah. not the best decision I made, so they're very handy. And and the rest, um, I'm sort of making up as I go, really, I'm trying to use things around the house and um, keep as fit and strong as I can. Yeah, I think a lot of people are probably in that um, that sort of situation. I know that I um, I tried to plan ahead and bought some dumbbells about a week before uh, the the lockdown was introduced because I just thought, okay, it's now or never, and I didn't want to be faced with the sort of toilet roll equivalent of just empty online stores of uh, fitness equipment. But um, did did you be, being having access to all the uh, football club stuff? Did you did you not really have a lot in the house then, as your kind of your your own gym basically at the club? Yeah, basically we have our own gym um, at the training ground, and usually when I use it, uh, it's empty, so I have everything I need. Right. Um, I didn't quite envisage we would get where we are now. So yeah. I, I didn't really, I wasn't as resourceful as you, as sort of, um, you know, buying things early. And yeah, on, on the off chance, when I got tested actually at the club, I uh, took some dumbbells home. Right. Because uh, I was going to self-isolate after I, I was tested. And I thought they'd come in handy and, and they have. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, did you come up negative in the test? Because I know there have been about five players. Is that right? That have been shown to have had it, or or um. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. so so I um I was all clear. I was negative. Um, I found out uh, within forty eight hours actually, which was what was suspected. And yeah, um, a few of the the tests took a little longer to come back, and and in the end there were five five positive tests. Yeah. Um, you know, some of us have tried to sort of see if we could trace it, but over the time frame, it, we all we all originally got tested because of the Arsenal um, case uh, with Mikel Arteta tested right. positive, and we played them. Yes, um, he had contact with the Olympiacos chairman who tested positive, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. The chain goes on, but um, sort of the time frame doesn't sort of seem to match up with everybody testing when they did. Yeah, um, so it's very hard to trace and. Yeah, it could have been anybody, anywhere, really. Yeah, there's a lot of mystery for everyone, isn't there? We're all sort of living through uncertainty. So you said you've got some dumbbells at home. You've obviously got your bike as well. Have you, uh, in the course of trying to figure out how to do this, have you got any tips that you could share with uh, people listening if uh, if they're hearing this still in a time of social distancing and self-isolation? Uh, any kind of uh, innovative ideas you've had about how to stay fit at home when you don't really have a home gym on tap? Yeah, um... I mean, there's there's plenty of body weight exercises that you can do. Um, there are tables you can use for sort of push and pull exercises. 
Um, I'd, I'd say go online, go on YouTube, go yeah. on Instagram. You know, everybody seems to, to be uh, you know, uploading their home workouts. Yes. At this, this point, it is a great thing. And, you know, I've taken a lot of different people and sort of put them into my own um, exercises. One of my old sports scientists, um, and he, he was a, our strength and conditioning coach a few years ago, he's done this great thing where he rolls up a towel, um, folds it, puts it in a door frame, closes the door and uses it as a, a sort of... TRX, if you like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, to pull pull yourself up with. Um, so if you can have a look at that online, it's it's brilliant and really resourceful. Yeah, I'm going to steal that. What's uh, what's uh, what should I be looking for online? What's his name? Do you know what his name is? Um, Fit Adventures. I can try and find it now. Actually, one moment. Uh, fit for underscore adventures. Not his birth name, I'm assuming. Okay, I'm going to look for Fit for Underscore Adventures. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, that's his tag. I mean, is is you won't find his first name. I think yeah. it's, it's Adrian Cook, but it doesn't come up. But um, yeah, he he's really resourceful, and uh, he borrowed that off somebody else, I think. So fantastic. Yeah, it's sort of using everybody's tips and um, examples. Have you got a sense of how the um, how the club is? Uh helping to keep uh, keep the football club fans in good spirits at this time because obviously Portsmouth's famously got really passionate fans. I know they're going to be really, really missing uh, being yeah, able to go to the games. It's really tough. Um, you know, they're working hard, sort of, I think we're working from home now, but they're working hard and delivering some content on the social media channels, whether that's from um, asking the players to do things. I've had a few requests to just make some videos and stuff. Um, they're... Uh, putting up old content, you know, um, mm. throwback games. Um, they recently sort of live tweeted the old AC Milan game back in, I think, 2008. Oh, yeah. Um, which I actually followed out of real keen interest because I didn't sort of know the club or support the club back then. Right. Um, so it was really interesting for me. And I've heard so much about the AC Milan game. And yeah, it did appear to be a bit of a cracker. So um, I think the, the fans are enjoying things like that. You know, there's there's some other fans who are doing sort of crazy uh, poll leagues and you know voting for your favourite players over the history of the club, etc. So yeah. there's all sorts of things to, to keep engaged with online on on social media platforms. But it is tough with with no football every Tuesday Saturday. So hopefully not for too long. We'll see. <laughs> so let's talk about your way into football then. Um, uh, I understand you didn't really have a typical route into um, turning professional. Um, and I know that you, you started off, you were a youth uh, player for Arsenal, weren't you? So uh, had you always wanted to be a footballer? How did how's your sort of journey progressed? Yeah, I think I'd always wanted to be a footballer. Um, I think once I sort of dropped out of the academy system, then that hope and dream soon sort of um, came up against reality where it was actually a bit further away than I ever thought and I probably lost hope that I would become a footballer. Um, so what age was that that you uh, that you'd been this, this is when you were playing for Arsenal and then you dropped out of the Arsenal Academy how old yeah, were you at that so time? Yeah I dropped out of Arsenal around 12. Right. I went to play for West Ham for a year Yeah. Um, and then dropped out of that academy um, after one season so it was um, pretty 13. That's a that's a really difficult age to sort of have to adjust to your life changing course a bit, especially when it's on track to something that must have seemed so exciting at the time. How, how did you kind of cope with that at that age? Definitely. Um, 
it was tough. I think I sort of I ran away from it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I had offers to go at different clubs and trial, and um, I decided against it. Um, I I went to play sort of a little bit of a lower standard on the Sunday league. Yeah. Um, met some some people there who who I got on well with and enjoyed it. Played a different position where I got to see more of the ball and. Um, yeah, I sort of lost a little bit of confidence in myself, my my ability, and I didn't want to be in that academy environment. Yeah, um, which was pretty high pressured even at that age. So, yeah, I, I think that's how I dealt with it. I, th- I threw myself into other sports. I'd always played cricket. Um, when I went to high school, I played uh, rugby for my school and sort of yeah, played different sports. Yeah, and how? What was your what was your path back then to becoming a professional? So I, I went on like that. I played every single sport I could, um, yeah. enjoyed everything, played football at a bit of a lower standard, um, went to play for a semi-professional sides uh, youth team and reserves, which are Bishop Stortford. Yeah. Um, and then I decided to go off to university um, to, to get an education. And that was when it all sort of changed. During my second year at the University of Birmingham, I met a, a guy called Mark Burke, who was an ex-footballer. Uh-huh. Um, he put me in contact with Middlesbrough for a two-day trial and I went back for a further week's trial and I got offered a, a professional deal for a two-year deal. So Fantastic. Was that whilst you were still doing your degree then? Yeah, that was whilst I was um, doing my history degree um, in second year. Right. Uh, I finished second year. I agreed the deal so I signed for Middlesbrough um, yeah. moved up to the northeast, and with the help of the club and their ties with Teesside University I managed to transfer my degree from Birmingham to Teesside oh fantastic um, which was a big help because it meant I only had to complete my final year yeah. rather than say start again at a, a university so. yeah so you had a you had a year when you were balancing your last year of studies your final exams and everything with actually being a pro player then so I, I actually split my final year over two years. Oh, uh, gotcha. So I, I finished it part-time. Um, the university was, was quite helpful with that. They actually have quite a big um, mature student um, sort of society. So, you know, there was a, quite a few people who had full-time jobs and attended evening classes and evening lectures and things. So um, it was it was pretty easy from that point of view. Oh, that's great. What would you say you got from uh, from university, whether it's you know doing the degree, which was history, wasn't it, or, or just from the broader university experience itself? What did it What did it kind of do for you? Um, well, it was massive. Um, obviously, it's the first time I lived away from home. Um, you know, you have to learn how to cook, how to clean, how to yeah. look after yourself. You have that responsibility of uh, managing your bills. Um, you know, your money. I had a job. I had a job at school, but I then had a job at university to help pay for things. Um, it gave you some real life experience. Obviously, going to university, you have to manage and deal with your learning a lot more independently than than when at college or, or school. Um, and I just think it gave a real sort of grounding, and um, it was also a fantastic experience meeting new people and, and expanding your horizons. Really, yeah. Are there any uh, sort of memories that you hold particularly dear of that time that you feel like have uh, maybe helped you become the person that you are today and, and perhaps informed uh, your approach to all the challenges of, uh, of pro football? Um, not not individual memories as such. I 
living with uh, six other lads was quite an experience and one that I hold really dear to me and um, you know made some lifelong friends there it was definitely entertaining yes not, not so hygienic or clean um, but it was definitely enjoyable you know long days in long days in the library where you have to try and get yourself to be as productive as possible you need to organize yourselves um, I played a, a role in the football club as well at the university um, and there we sort of managed our own finances managed our own club and that was a real eye-opener we we made decisions over coaches over managers um over finances etc so there were some some really sort of broad things that i look back really fondly on yeah uh, yeah i guess um i guess the level of dedication you'd have had to bring to sport um over the years growing up that that in some way must have probably helped with being able to focus on uh, degree level study as well because as you say there's so much more uh, personal responsibility as a university student compared to when you're at school there's a lot it's a lot more on you isn't it definitely yeah and um i think sport is, is so valuable for that you know you learn a lot um playing sport i i captained a lot of my cricket teams um you learn sort of leadership skills teamwork um, you know, discipline, and, and that all transfers over really well into when you have to manage your own self and, and your own learning. And um, yeah, I think you know, my biggest thing is is sports it can be such a, a sort of vehicle um, for positive things, and um, yeah, it's been massive for my life throughout. Yeah, and you've been at Pompey. Is it five seasons now? Is that right? Correct. Yeah, coming up to. The, the end of my fifth season. I'm not sure when that's going to be, but yes, who knows? Yeah, yeah. how's the, how's that been for you as an experience? Amazing. It's been a huge roller coaster, as cliche as it that is to say. But yeah. um, I think every season I've had such ups and downs. Um, it's it's been phenomenal, and it's it's just a great place to play your football. Like you mentioned before, the fans are just incredibly passionate, and it's like nothing um i'd experienced before and it's very rare to be honest throughout english football that you sort of um get to play at such a, a club with with support like this so it's been a, such a privilege yeah and you've been there through the transition then from fan ownership to michael eisner taking over what do you think the future looks like yeah and that's been so interesting in itself and you know amazing to say um I think the future is, is certainly secure under the Eisners. Um, you know, they're not the sort of family who are in it for a quick buck. They're not um, ones to, to throw money at it and then walk away the next season. They're not looking yeah. for sort of um, fast success. They're they're sort of putting in the infrastructure um, to make the, the club a real success from, from the bottom upwards, if you like. And, and they've got you know, great intentions with with uh, building up the academy, um, and just really securing the the future of the club, especially, or sorry, which seems you know so fantastic, especially the the history or the recent history that's um, befallen Portsmouth. So yeah, obviously, there's a lot more to Christian Burgess than just football. As anyone who's uh, ever read or seen anything uh, to do with you will we'll know but uh, for those who haven't um, can you tell us a bit about what you do when you're not playing football 
Um, when I'm not playing football, I mean, day to day, um, I really enjoy reading. Um, so I, I take myself off either to, to a little coffee shop after work and, and take my book with me. Um, other than that, I'm, I'm quite outdoorsy as well. I, I've got a bike, which I use quite a bit. I, I like going for sort of long hikes and, and doing things like that. I love to travel. Yeah. Uh, so that's a big thing for me when, when we get time off. I try and make the most of it. I either go away for a short break or over the summer, um, try and experience different things. And um, yeah, whether that's climbing um, sort of mountains or um, scuba diving places, I sort of am quite an adventurist, I think. Yes. Have you uh, have you got any uh, good books on the go right now? Obviously, a lot of people have got uh, suddenly a lot more time for things like catching yeah. up with a good book. Any recommendations? Yeah, I, mean, I just finished um, The Uninhabited Worth, um, which I think is so important. You know, I think everybody should read it and really get a full grasp of where the planet is um, environmentally and uh -huh. Um, how close we are to a, a climate crisis. I think it's sort of taken a back seat at the moment with the coronavirus in the headlines, but um, I think it's going to be a, a lot more dangerous um, in, the, in the near future. Yes. And then currently I'm, I'm reading The Boy Who Followed His Father Into Auschwitz. Um, ah. which was, it's a fantastic read. It's it's harrowing. It's, um, it's a little upsetting, but... Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm interested in, in that period, and it's it's really interesting. So you keep you keep up with um, history post your degree, then you you're kind of uh, staying in touch with uh, with the past as well as the present and the future. Definitely, I think I think um, you know understanding the past is so important, um, and, and it's something it's it's a reason I, I studied history. So I'm definitely still passionate about it. Yeah, you mentioned the um, the climate crisis, obviously in the uh, the uninhabitable Earth. Um, I've seen you referred to as the Greta Thunberg of football. Um, can <laughs> you tell us a bit about headline? <laughs> yes, that was in the Times, I believe. So, uh, yeah. for many people, that's uh, that's just accepted fact. Uh, yeah. <laughs> why 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 uh, why would uh, why would somebody call you that? Um, I think it's because of my my interest in the environment. Um, so a couple of well about two and a half years ago i i uh, went vegan uh -huh. uh, and part of that reason to to go vegan was um the environment mental impact um that eating animals has um i i when you transition i think you read and you watch a lot more um in you have a lot more information on sort of reasons for doing so and mm. you learn a lot about the environment and, and what's happening um deforestation um uh the obviously the the other effects that that agriculture has and it's very clear that we're sort of fastly um outgrowing this planet if you like and, yes uh, the rate that the arctic's melting is is quite frankly scary um and so really I'm just conscious of that and um, try to educate people um, on it when I can. And I've procured that nickname um, from one headline, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you feel as somebody who's got a bit of a public profile and um, someone whose you know, words people pay attention to as well as their actions, um, as, as everyone does with, with any footballer these days who's got 
presence on social media. Do you do you feel a bit of responsibility being in the public eye to uh, bring up issues like this? Um, I feel like it it gives me a good opportunity to do so. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like I have a responsibility, but it's something that I am passionate about, and therefore, if I can, um, you know, sort of get anybody to think about it for themselves get anyone to critically analyze that aspect of their life, then that's a positive for me. So mm. um, I think I'm lucky that I have uh, a platform of some sort and um, see it as an opportunity really to, to sort of gently nudge people in, in a, the right direction or, or what I think is the right direction anyway. And, and of course, not everybody will agree with that and that's perfectly fine. And um, I quite enjoy debating with people uh, as well. Yeah. I think we're seeing some interesting uh, knock-on effects of uh, how human beings are responding to the current coronavirus crisis as we talk. Um, obviously, there's been quite a significant reduced impact on the environment in the sense that uh, so much reduced travel, people in isolation, so uh, carbon emissions uh, from transport are significantly down around the world. You're seeing uh, things like the canals of Venice uh, being cleaner than they've been probably since they were built with fish swimming along, yeah. swans even floating along. Uh, do you think that potentially there's um, an opportunity, I guess, for the world to change its ways in relation to the environment, given that we're all having to adapt uh, and change and are seeing, albeit some some quite tough, uh, I suppose, emotional and mental challenges from the way in which we're having to do it and the reasons why, um, we can see that that changes of behaviour that we are certainly all capable of making uh, can have quite a big impact. So do, do you think there's an opportunity for the world to, to learn some lessons in that sense? I think there's definitely an opportunity, like you say, to learn some lessons. There's There's an opportunity to show... Um, people what could be I do however worry that um, once this is over I think people will rush back to the fast pace of life and um, which everybody's yeah. grown so used to um, there's a fine balance between um, you know airlines being grounded and the jobs that also the job losses that come with that yes um, there's also a a real question whether the, the free market and capitalism itself um, can actually come to a point where nature is is looked after as well as it should be and, and we can get to a, a zero net emissions um, quick enough. Um, I think that you know we're so used to, to the comfort of, of life in the West and um, our luxuries that we enjoy that it might be a little harder to change. There's all sorts of effects uh, that the uninhabitable earth actually sort of covers mm. um, with people sort of almost denying um, the plausibility of climate change. And um, because it's it's such a, a huge effect, and I think it's the new norm where you just um, believe that you, you've seen, you know, huge fires in the Australian outback and... Um, in in uh, California, they they just become the norm, and, and you take yeah. it as the norm, and um, rather than seeing it as a huge sign from nature. So, um, I'm not overly optimistic that 
you know, seeing how beautiful the rivers are, I think that they'll soon return to what they were once this is all sort of finished. And, and the same with um, the the air and um, the sky over China, which is so dramatically changed. Um, yes. I, I'm not holding my breath that it will maintain that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the climate crisis, I mean, obviously it's not a, uh, it's not a single cause crisis, is it? There are so many factors to it. If there was, if there was one thing that you could get people to change to make an impact uh, and, and to change the climate for the better, what would that one change be? <laughs> um, it would be every vegan's dream. It would possibly be a little unrealistic, but I think it would be um, to stop people eating meat and fish Right. Um, that would be that would be a huge factor, I think. Um, especially fish. People have cut down on red meat a lot these mm. days, and it's sort of a quite a westernized thing to say oh, I'm eating less red meat, um, but they substitute it for fish. And uh, the oceans are the biggest um, sort of natural uh, thing on this earth that takes. Um, that absorbs carbon dioxide and um, the huge kelp forests and, and coral reefs, etc. So, I think if if we have any chance of um, stopping the the climate crisis, it's it's tackling the oceans and yeah. Um, so yeah, if, if they could stop eating meat or fish, that would be fantastic. Speaking of uh, the oceans, I know you've been working with uh, the University of Portsmouth and with uh, Final Straw here in Portsmouth as well to uh, to engage with schools in activities to help clean up our local beaches um, where you often see, uh, although technically they're of a very high standard, you do still get uh, a lot of plastics washed up as you do everywhere. Why is that something that people should care about? Why is it important to you to, to go out and talk to schools about these kind of activities? Yeah, I believe um, actually today we were supposed to be on a beach clean with the university. That's right, yeah. Which unfortunately was obviously cancelled. Um but no, the oceans are hugely important. Um, it's another thing that I'm passionate about. <laughs> um, I, I scuba dive and uh, I have done um, for quite a few years now and it's just the best experience. I'd recommend it to anyone. And yeah. um, You have a real appreciation of the ocean, uh, of what goes on underneath. And um, like I just mentioned, it's um, you know more important, but you know, no less so than the Amazon rainforest is to... To doing the job of absorbing carbon dioxide um, and uh, healthy oceans have an impact on so many different factors of industry as well um, obviously the fishing industry um, so it's it's so important that we try to tackle the pollution that, that, that those oceans face and plastic is just one element of, the, of that issue um, you know plastic does kill you know, thousands of seabirds, turtles, uh, fisheries, um, the larger, the larger fishes and whales, etc. So, um, it, it's a big issue that we need to try and find uh, ways around. Yes, yes, as you say, it's a it's a whole other world down there that you don't really get to see unless you're a scuba diver or maybe an avid watcher of the Blue Planet. Um, but uh, it it does have not only do they, uh, they all those creatures have the right to live in a nice environment, but it as you say has such an impact on our own environment up here as well. Um, here at the University of Portsmouth, uh, the use of plastic 
uh, and sustainable use of ocean resources is, is a major, major thing. We've got lots of researchers who are doing some really quite groundbreaking and important stuff in those fields that, that, that is actually starting to make real change happen. We've got um, researchers who uh, work with countries around the world, helping them to understand how to better manage and conserve uh, their marine resources uh, and their their seaside communities, if you like. We've also got uh, a researcher, John McGeehan, who, working with Harry Austin, a PhD student and an international team, uh, was instrumental in uh, doing some really innovative work uh, around enzymes. Essentially, what happened is a, a couple of years back, they discovered uh, in, um, of all places, a, a junkyard in Japan. They found this enzyme that has evolved uh, really quite recently uh, and it's evolved to be able to break down the component parts of plastic. Um, you could say it eats plastic, it's more it's more sort of accurate to say really that it dissolves plastic, it breaks it down and uh, the reason why that's really really important as you'll probably know Christian is that um, some of the most commonly used plastics like PET which is used to make plastic drinks bottles uh, and all sorts of plastic containers for household products and uh, cosmetic products which a lot of which ends up uh, in the ocean around the world. Um, that PET plastic, it does break down in the natural world, but it takes about 450 years to do so. So that's a heck of a lot of time to be floating around uh, in the ocean, uh, causing all sorts of problems for uh, for creatures that live there and having an impact on the on the food chain, on the health of the planet. Uh, and essentially, what they're doing now at Portsmouth is we've opened uh, the Centre for Enzyme Innovation. And uh, our researchers there are working to engineer this enzyme uh, so that they can basically speed up uh, the process uh, so that so it dissolves the plastic even faster and uh, adapt it so that it can be put to work in an industrial context. So what it will mean is, in theory, we can create at last a, a real far-reaching circular economy for plastic. This is all a way off yet. But the research is in progress. Essentially, we'd be able to take those uh, plastic bottles and rather than uh, seeing them all just linger on for centuries in the environment, uh, we can actually just continue breaking them down, reusing them in different ways, uh, which would make a massive difference to the world. Yeah, that would be huge. Um, you know, I know some, some plastic bottles do get recycled, but I think the, the the life of a recycled bottle is, you know, maybe once or twice. And That's right, yeah. Or it can actually, you know, it has to go into landfill. So um, to actually find a, a technology that can break that plastic down um, to eat it, like you said, would be, would be you know, enormous. Yeah, it, it is. And I mean, the, the great advantage of it, I think, is that it means that we could continue to get the best out of the good sides of plastic, all the ways in which it's actually really, really useful and, and uh, in a lot of ways superior to other materials. So, for example, you know, a lot of people say, why don't we use glass instead of plastic? Well, because actually the glass, the emissions uh, from the various aspects of transitioning to glass would be worse than they are for plastic, for example. But uh, that's a whole that's a whole other uh, conversation we could go into. But um, just wondering, is the um, is Portsmouth Football Club um, taking any action to reduce its use of plastic? I imagine historically a lot of uh, supporters maybe have been drinking out of plastic uh, cups and things like that. Is there any action going on at the football club? Yeah, I think um, myself and the physio, who's who's also interested in, in the environment, or, or especially this aspect, have made some changes down at the training grounds. Um, there used to be 
bottles of water available for the players, whereas now everybody's got their own reusable uh, bottle um, labelled. It gets washed every day. And, um, yeah, we, we all are encouraged to use that and fill up our, our bottles from the water fountain, which the boys now do, which saves a, a hell of a lot of um, water bottles that we used to bring in. Yeah, um, I bet. And also has, a, has an effect on the cost, so it's, it's great sort of all round. Um trying to think of anything else i'm not sure about down at fratton park i think we've had discussions of i think there are water fountains at fratton park which we encourage fans to use um there have been some discussions in, in terms of the kiosks and what we can do there um but i think that's sort of limited um, yeah i mean we're certainly looking at ways to to limit our plastic production. yeah water fountains alone would make a massive difference as, as you say if people are just bringing their own reusable bottles in um, then that's that in itself is a is a massive cut potentially to single use plastics. Yeah, and uh, you know that's definitely what we do at the training ground now. So um, that's a big bonus. There was uh, a little bit of fight back from from some, but it's been accepted pretty well. So um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I think perhaps the coronavirus and all the adjustments people are going to have to make will maybe uh, maybe put some of those lifestyle changes in perspective a bit. Actually, it might teach us some lessons about. Uh, context and perspective in terms of how big of an adjustment you can actually make and how quickly uh, and how quickly you get used to it as well definitely so, i think we're all we're all learning that now um with the, the conditions we're under at the moment so yeah that's one positive from it and um i mean without without uh wanting to make this sound like i'm drawing the curtain on your career because you've obviously got a, a fair way to go but obviously football careers um come to a close sooner than than most careers have you got a sense of uh, what you'd like to do with your life in the future? Might it be something to do with uh, in, in the environment, activism, maybe even politics? Definitely. Um, I would love to, to be involved in, in either of those fields, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, conservation, uh, I'm really, really passionate about um, whether that was sort of incorporated into scuba diving would be would be amazing there's lots of programs over the all over the world that sort of um are out there protecting coral reefs um but you know just as much as i'm very much interested in in the politics here at home and um yeah whether that's sort of on an activism level uh getting more involved politically or, or you know with with the environment um it all sort of interests me, but I, I'm yet to sort of uh, channel myself into one one route at the moment. Uh, hopefully, I've still got five or six years left in me. Yes, absolutely. Well, we'll look forward to finding out and uh, potentially quite a different world by the time you are uh, leaving Fratton Park and uh, going on to that next stage. Who knows uh, what sort of a changes you, you could uh, be a part of at that time. I've got one final question for you, Christian, before you go. Uh, sure. And I'm not looking here for a sort of uh, self-isolation gotcha where you reveal to me that you've got uh, thousands of uh, duplicate products that other people are frantically looking for on the supermarket shelves right now. Uh, coming back to the fact that you're a, you're a vegan and that that's something you advocate. And also you're a sports person, so you need to be eating uh, very healthily, getting a lot of protein. I'm wondering, what's in your fridge right now? Yeah. <laughs> um, toilet paper. <laughs> No, um, you know, in my fridge, I always have, um, it's just like my favorite things is a broccoli and a cauliflower. I know uh -huh. that seems really silly, but they are always in the bottom of my fridge. 
Um, also, I've got a couple of packs of tofu. Yeah. Um, which sort of come in handy with the, the protein content. Um, I've got my plant milks. So I've got my oat milk and my coconut milk. Um, what else is there? I think there's a, a packet of bacon. Uh huh. Yeah. Very important. Comes in handy. That's one of my favorites. And um, yeah, that's about it. I think. What sort of things do you do with the cauliflower and broccoli? Are they your kind of go-to uh, bulking out ingredients? Yeah, I mean, my cauliflower, I, I always use with a, this dal that I make, um, a lentil dal with cauliflower. So that's one of my favourite dishes. I've always got some of that um, left over in the fridge. And then um, the broccoli sort of goes with everything, whether it goes in a, a chickpea curry or mm. whether it goes alongside um, some, some sweet potato and some, some vegan sausages. Um, it sort of does me for a bit of everything, really. It covers all, all bases. Yeah. Do you find it um, easier than people might think to get enough uh, protein for a, a sports person's diet from being a vegan? Yeah, I think so. Um, I eat a lot of, uh, you know, chickpeas, lentils, um, different legumes, nuts as well. Um, I've always got a, a bag of nuts. Um, but I also supplement that every now and then with fake meats. Yeah. Um, whether that's sort of your Linda McCartney frozen things. Um, there's some, there's so many products now in the shelves and supermarkets of sort of, uh, you know, fake meats and things, um, with high protein content. So it's pretty easy now. Fantastic. Christian, thank you so much. Um, I think I've kept you long enough and to be honest, you're making me hungry. So I need to go and see what's in my own fridge. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for the chat. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Cheers.